seconds flat. Give me up. Put it down, put it This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello, everyone, and welcome in for mile 131 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast coming to you the day after a new American record is set at the Chicago Marathon. Tis the season. Tis the season, Phil. That's right. How you doing, my friend? Oh, fantastic. Uh, one of our good friends and fellow co-hosts was on the course yesterday at Chicago. He ran well. Yeah, here's to Cosmo. Cos- nice job, man. Cosmo had his bounce back race. He ran a 2.56 yesterday morning on a just beautiful day in Chicago. Yeah. That's a race that's been relatively warm the past few years, and he caught a good day in the Windy City. That's right. 10-mile-an-hour winds yesterday. Nice, cool temperatures. For those who don't know, Cosmo spent the better part of a year away from serious yeah. training in a combination of family, a new career, working at a startup that was taking all kinds of hours and had him traveling all over the world. And then there was an injury in there as well. But he is back. He wanted to make sure he qualified for Boston. That oh, is, he is well his under favorite that race. So he is when easily... Give the rundown of how his race went. That's what I was going to say. We will get Cosmo back on soon. It's been a while. Yeah. So I think maybe in the summer, the last time Cosmo was on. We'll see. He's big time. I don't know if he'll make oh, some time true. for us, but but he's he's <laughs> a good one. In. So congrats to, to our friend Cosmo, to everyone else who ran yesterday in Chicago. I want to give a shout to a buddy of mine, Chris who just put up a massive negative split. He PR'd the half okay. in the second half yesterday and the had a half. big, big marathon PR. He went 74-something in the first half okay. and then under 70 wow. on the way home and ran like a second or two under 224. Nice. So Man, awesome, awesome run by Chris. Yeah, so we're excited for everybody who covered the 26.2 yesterday. Let's start the main topics then with who I believe is the star of the day, Emily Sisson. Yeah. What an amazing performance. A new American record. Two hours, 18 minutes, and 29 seconds. She did that with a 23-second negative split in the second half. So she was right about on American record pace. Well, on that finishing kick that she had. Well, that's what I was going to say. She was absolutely (laughs) hammering the last few miles. If you break down her splits... Mm Her fastest 5K was from 35 to 35 40, to 40 right? yeah. but she actually then closed from 40K to finish at a faster pace than any of the other splits earlier in the day. I th- oh. She ran what would have been sub-16 5K pace over that last that stretch from, yeah, from, from 40 to the finish, okay. so that last 2 plus K, yeah. Looked fantastic. I mean, she closed strong, not just fast. And represented New Balance well yesterday on the streets of Chicago. That performance was good enough for second overall behind Ruth Chepanetich, 
who went out on a blistering first half pace. It's not quite the same negative split that uh, Emily had. <laughs> she went out well faster than the world record mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, she set the world record for the women's 10 mile. The first 10 have. miles yes, of the race. 10? It was the fastest anyone has covered the first 10 miles yep. of a marathon in, in women's well, history. she was in the lead with the men... The men's pack well, are on that same pace. Hey, Pat Tiernan, get you all kind of coverage because you're running with Ruth. <laughs> Pat Tiernan is an NCAA champion. He's one of the premier distance runners in Australia, not just his now, but over debut. recent decades. Yeah. And he spends the early miles of his marathon debut running on something like 208 pace mm-hmm. with the women's leader. They were, what, 450 per mile pace? Uh, it was unbelievably fast early. And the commentary was cued into that because she did something similar, although not quite as fast last year. This felt dangerously fast, and there was a big fade, but she held on to run the second fastest time in women's history. By, what, 18 seconds or so? Yes, away from the world record. That's correct. Interesting tidbit. If you compare her second half split to Emily Sisson's, as Sisson is closing hard, Ruth's fading hard... She still actually ran a few seconds faster uh-huh. yeah. over the second half than Emily Sisson, which is remarkable. So, uh, watching this or, or reading about this... Wait, wait, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Which did you do, Phil? Well, I read and watched the highlights. I had my own run to get in yesterday morning. The Chicago Marathon <laughs> comes to actual TV after you sat here and complained that you didn't want to get a flow track subscription because London and Berlin were going to be expensive and hard to get to. It comes on to the Peacock. It comes on to local NBC coverage. It interrupted Sunday services of the Church of the Sunday Long Run. Yes. All right. Well, I hope you had a good one. Oh. So, so you read about it. So why don't you tell everybody because you're a real expert. <laughs> Actually, no. no but here's my question for you since you watched it. I, I did. I'm, I'm setting the softball up for you. Yeah. She runs an even split. Ruth Chubb and Geddes. Oh, yeah. What What time is she capable of? Boy, that's a great question. It's an interesting hypothetical because we had this discussion with Elliot, Chipko- <laughs> Elliot Kipchoge last week. I don't think her optimal run is quite as even or negative as his. In mm-hmm. part, this is the way she races. Right. And this is she what she's, this way last year. Yeah. she's comfortable with it and she's had success. Now, could she run faster? Yes. I think she could have run a world record. Yeah. If that if that's what we're putting on the line, optimal race, yes, she runs under 214. Yeah. And she runs a world record. Yeah. But I don't know if it's significantly faster okay. than this. Just because I don't know how comfortable she would be with handling a slow start, progressing right, into it. Taste. And perhaps with experience, she's more prepared for yeah. that. But there's a part of me that thinks she could run a minute faster yeah. if this was better paced. Yeah. Because she was, what, three, three, four minutes slower on the second half compared to the first? The positive split on her race was four-ish minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made fun of you for saying, uh, reading about it, watching the highlights, and, and in part, that's a jab at the coverage, because my initial reaction yesterday was, how did we see virtually no coverage of Emily Sisson until the final few kilometers? Yeah. At one point, Peacock took us and they spliced into the local NBC Chicago coverage of some local newscasters asking marathon trivia questions of some running club in the crowd. They could do that. 
we could do that, but they couldn't get us any camera near the lead American man or woman. Oh. You you essentially did not see Connor Mance, yeah. the American men's winner, after he separated from the lead pack fairly early on. It it was lucky that his coach Ed Eystone was one of the commentators right. because he's following along and he's getting updates and he's cueing us into what's happening. Right. Emily Sisson we saw, I believe, once overhead on maybe like a drone shot. Okay. Then we saw about her last two at the most kilometers. Yeah. And that was all the coverage of her that, that we had so once we got into the meat of the race. It's great to follow the leaders live. And, and I was happy to have it. Right. So it, yes, it, it was better than not watching Berlin because it was on flow track. <laughs> but again, growing the sport both in participation and fan interest and enthusiasm would significantly benefit from seeing more Emily Sisson or Connor Mance throughout the race at a world marathon major. 100%. Yeah. Enough griping, Phil. I've, <laughs> I've complained my fair share for this episode. Let's go to a hard-hitting question early on. We'll come back to Connor Mance and his performance, but to build more on the women's race, Emily Sisson, American record holder, mm-hmm. is she the best current American female marathoner? Ooh. Maybe. Oh, boy. Here, here, I, you know what? No, 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 don't know me. All right, Phil? Here, here, I mean, here's, here's my This point. is a guy who we, stands for something. Kiernamato has feels had a so fantastic st- season. He feels so strongly both ways. He won't just... That's right. I'm sitting comfortably on the fence. Yeah, get right on the fence. Okay, go ahead. Here, I'm, I'm so sorry. Here's my point. Kiernamato has had a fantastic season. She has. She no just set the American record, what, a couple weeks ago? But she's well. It, the, it was in Houston a few months ago. Yes, she's towards the end of her career. Whereas Emily Sisson has been kind of the potential up and comer for a while. That, okay, let me pause you. That's a really interesting point you just made. Kira D'Amato, age wise, may seem like she's near the end of her career, but there were a lot of years without mileage True. on those legs. And how old is Emily Sisson now? Do you know? Twenty five. She's thirty years old. Okay. I get the point of the way we've looked at her because she was a track star, an NCAA star. It feels like an up-and-comer. They might not be that far apart. Uh, It might not be an end of career versus beginning of career. It might be more like a late prime versus early prime comparison. But go ahead. I So I think with how how well she ran, she can go faster. Yeah. So I I think the bigger highlight is how strong American women's distance running is right now. Sure. The depth. The, the, the absolute depth of the field is incredible. This isn't going to be the fastest race we see from Emily Sisson. Oh, so you think she breaks her own record? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's unpack this a little more. Who are the other names that you put in the short list? Like if we were going to line Ooh, them up to yeah. race, clearly Emily Sisson and Kira D'Amato, you've already mentioned. Yeah. Who else would you want on the line to really determine who's the best? This was going to be my question to you, is, is who is our women's 2024 squad for the Olympics? Ooh, that might be a different question, yeah. but it's okay. a good one. But it's the same concept. I think Emily Sisson, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, I have at least two more names that I think you have to put in this competition. Okay. And then there might be a slight drop-off to another group that's really, really good. I think yeah. Sarah Hall. I think Sarah Hall is definitely in there. As well as Molly Seidel, mm-hmm. even though we haven't seen her recently. Right. Maybe she's Emma got Bates. an Olympic medal. Emma Bates is kind of my cutoff. Yeah. She's on one side of this or the other. Oh, there you go, sitting on the fence. Well, <laughs> Emma Bates is 
not the best American marathoner. True. But she's kind she of... She can mix it up. She can, and she falls right on this line where the next group that I think is so good, and this is where the depth comes in, yeah. with... Runners like Nell Rojas, mm-hmm. Dakota Lundworm, yep. I, I mean, Des Linden's still in that group. Yep. I, of these women who are now in the mid-220s, pushing even a little lower, uh, you're right, the depth's great, but the caveat is at the top, international marathoners are running faster than ever, too. Right. So we might be deeper than we were, but are we better at the top? Emily Sisson on a flat course is one thing. Yeah, just look at her history. London, yeah. incredible race. Olympian then in the 10,000 afterward. Mm-hmm. However, Atlanta kind of chewed her up, and she even admitted that she thought the course wasn't made for her. Have you seen the Olympic course for Paris? Have you taken a look oh, at it? Oh, it's nasty. Yeah, it looks it's really cool yeah. out to Versailles. It'll be fun to watch. There's some flat stretches, but it's it got some big hills to yeah. it. I don't know that she's a metal threat okay. there. And so in some ways, by accomplishment, competitive accomplishment, Molly Seidel feels like mm-hmm. the top pick, but we don't know where she is right now in right. her training and her health. Right. So uh, I guess if I were going to pick the one road racer, all around road racer that I want right now, I think I'm still taking Kira D'Amato. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Emily Sisson, though, and, yeah. and I, I hope she does get to run faster. I'd love to see it either back at Chicago or what I'd really love to see is let's go to Berlin or let's go to London at some point. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, Emily, let's talk in private right now for a minute. Let's go to CIM <laughs> and you race me and Phil here in a couple months on a fast course with good weather. I'll be there. Yes, he will. Let's flip to the men's race. Okay. Uh, it was Benson Kipruto for the win in 204-24. Uh, but we were focused on the much-anticipated debut of former BYU stud Connor Mance. He did not disappoint. No, he did not. Mance was the top American in 208-16, making his run the second-fastest American debut all-time. Mm-hmm. 207 high, just under 208, is the American debut record Ryan mark. Ball. No, that is, uh, I believe, oh, gosh, is that Leonard Career? It is, Leonard Career. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, yes. I would guess that was. I had Mance at pre-race prediction at 208. So this leads us into well, that was one prediction. Uh, our, I just, yes, that leads <laughs> us to our predictions and wagers. I think you had him in 210-ish. So I'm pretty happy with that one. It gets dicier with our other two bets. <laughs> we had the over-under on Sir Mo at London at 211. Which you didn't even text me about. I had to send you a text... Hours after you had found out. Well, of course I was covering up the information <laughs> that he scratched from the race That's and did right. not run. So I actually, I will give you that one, of course. I think you take the win there. Okay. However, he didn't even really get to the line, so we don't have any clue what kind of time he could well, have run. It would not have been faster than uh, 2.11. I will stand by it will be faster than 2.11. Hey, let, how about <laughs> this? Do you want to roll it over? Does Mo ever again break 2.11? Oh, I'll take that wager. Okay, so let's just let's let's double down. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. I don't. I'm not sure why I'm betting on him right now. <laughs> but so really, the tiebreaker came down to Chicago. I had live splits on both these guys. Your boys from Furman, uh-huh. Frank the Tank Lara, two-time guest on Seconds Flat. Oh, he made an exciting race. He went out with Connor Mance. Yes. He came through halfway in under 64 minutes. 
and had a pretty good buffer on fellow paladin uh-huh. Wilkerson Given. Yep. Somewhere beyond 35k. I, I haven't dug into the splits. I haven't spoken with Frank or seen anything on Strava. I don't know if he if he uploaded his race. That lead suddenly disappeared, and and yeah. his incredible performance, just putting it on the line from the gun, seems oh, to have he, caught he up was with him. There through a thirty thirty five k or yeah, so. Yeah, the thirty five k split. He was still on a two oh eight something yeah, pace. His last five k split was like nineteen forty. Yeah, I sure so. I imagine for Frank, it was yeah tough running at that point. But with, with the way he raced, I mean, they they had the pacers group that was going to take him out at 65 or so. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, it's like, I want to go out and race. Yeah. Took that first half through in 64 and really was there through, what, 22, With, with Connor Mann. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still relatively new to the event. I, I agree. And this is another one where what could he have run? Could he have PR'd on this date? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Could he have been a sub-210 marathoner? Absolutely. Yes. Sure he looks like it. Race. But But that wasn't his goal, right? right? He wanted to throw himself into the competition. I believe even in this disappointment for Frank, certainly made his name even more well-known in the discussion that you started to bring up about our 2024 Olympic team oh, on the absolutely. men's marathon. Because yeah. he, he has to be in contention for yeah. one of those three spots. He, he had to have learned a lot about himself and his racing ability in this race. I'm sure he will come back stronger, better, fitter, yeah. and I look forward to it. However, that does mean... Wilkerson given edge to mount, so you got me two to one. <laughs> I think I owe you a croissant or something, but we'll roll over that Mo Farah bet who may never race again. We'll see. But let's ask the same thing we asked about the women's race. Is Connor Mance the best American male marathoner right now? 100%. Oh, I love yeah. that you showed some stones. His, his first race and day to debut it like that. And to actually throw it in the mix and race. Yeah. Now, who else is contesting him? Well, I have your answer. Exactly and, speed. and I appreciate that you were so confident. Galen Rupp's still a better marathoner than Connor Mance. We can talk about injuries. Remember what He's he did? They're healthy. He just did at Chicago. That's uh, true. We don't have to go too far back where he ran a time at Chicago uh, that does what Connor Mance did and more. Yeah. You're right. It's about getting there healthy. We'll see what he does at New York. It's in question because we haven't seen the performance at that high level Mm -hmm. recently. Solid performance at the Olympics, but not what he had hoped for. Don't forget how dominant he was at the Atlanta trials. I mean, he toasted the field. Plus, he did probably one of the baddest things I've ever seen when they were waiting for the gun to go off and the delayed start, start, and he just sat down Uh at the start line and pretty much said, this is my course, boys. (laughs) Get in line. I think I might pull that move at CIM on you. I hope you do, because there's a good chance you won't be able to get back up, Phil. (laughs) I'll have to drive back to Folsom to pick you up after I finish. (laughs) I still like Rupp. Let's lay it out this way. Okay. 208.16 for Mance. Mm -hmm. Does Rupp run under that time again in his career? Because he's done it before on several occasions. I think so. Yeah, I think he yeah, will think too, he, but I, I don't know it'll be at New York. That's a tough challenge, yeah. of course. He's going to race to race, just like we were yep. talking about Frank doing, much like Emily Sisson did as well. Yeah. It's easy to say I wasn't paying attention to time when you have pacers, but she was running her race and moved up into second place as a result. Rupp will do the same in yeah. New York. That's that's always been his MO. 
head to head, you know, let's just go neutral site, if you okay. will, like it's college basketball or college football bowl <laughs> game or something. Neutral site. Let's get away from a super flat course. Okay. Let's talk a you know maybe a more traditional marathon like rolling course. Yeah. yeah, you got one in mind. You want to put them on? Yeah. Well, let's say well-known course. Let's say New York. Yeah. Okay. That's what that was going to be my pick. Yeah. We put all the American women at New York. Who are you taking? All those women we mentioned. Who would be your prediction? They of course will not all be there this right. year. Everybody will. Be, everybody on a good day. Yeah. Let's go. Carrie D'Amato. Mm-hmm. Let's go Sarah Hall. Mm. Let's go Molly Seidel. Yeah, see, I would move her. I would probably put her up maybe like second. She's shown an ability yeah. to race that's really, really strong. Yep. Yeah. And then I may then put Emily, Emily Sisson, Sisson yeah. Yeah, next. Yeah. yeah. But, but Sarah Hall's been a bit of a time trialer on fast mm-hmm. courses as well. Right now, Emily Sisson's probably... A, Better than her. Again, the age factor, just the overall speed factor. Okay, so the men then, we're going to New York. Yeah. We got to get three American men on that course. Who would they be right now? Oh, let's go. You've said Connor Mance 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think we got to say Galen up Connor Mance. Are you going in that order? Did you just change your mind? If they're both healthy. Well, you told me 100% Connor Mance is the best marathoner in the United States. He has a much better chance of getting to the start line. I don't know that getting to the start line has ever been Rupp's problem. He always gets to the start line. It's, does he hold it together because he gets there injured? Well, that's, okay. <laughs> what does the finish oh, look like? That's fair. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to switch the order, but I agree with you generally. And yeah. then who's the third right now? I don't now? know. Because there's a huge group of guys that are right around that like 210 to 213 yeah. range. Yeah. That somebody could crack one easily. Yeah, so we might not have to throw out a name here, but part of the reason I brought this up is how fun I think that will be when they get on the stage, wherever the trials are. The most recent detail I've heard is that Chattanooga and Orlando are the two favorites for having it. I will say once again, my preference would be just put this at a big U.S. marathon and separate the field. We've done it before. Like they've done in New York. If we can't run an Atlanta-style trials, if the USATF either doesn't have the money or the wherewithal to make it happen, then I believe putting it at a major American marathon like a Houston or wherever it is, we've done it there before, would be the best way to hold the trials. But Chattanooga, you would assume hilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando, you would assume even if early, potentially very warm. Yeah. Uh, so those are just two cities that I've heard being discussed. Okay, let's uh, now transition quickly to a listener question. Okay. Uh, this is from our friend Knox, who is in New Jersey. It is a follow-up on the carbon-plated racing super shoe discussion mm-hmm. that we've had a couple times from other user questions. He brought a lot of details, a lot of info, and a lot of questions, but we're going to distill it down to a couple that I think are most significant. One, given your background as a physical therapist and a runner, mine as a runner and person who writes training for other runners, this is a neat question to consider in the context of how that plated shoe affects our biomechanics. And Knox wanted to know, should I be doing some sort of strengthening and mobility exercises to prepare for a transition as someone who has never worn a carbon-plated shoe before? And if so, what would those be? I have three initial thoughts that could be helpful. You might be 
doing these anyway. Yeah. They, they're beneficial anyway, but these three things would certainly help overcome some of the range of motion, uh, mobility, and strength issues that come with running in plated shoes, especially if you're doing it more yep. than just race day. Uh, so Knox, those three things would be one, strengthening exercises for the calves. Mm-hmm. You know, calf raises off the toe, that that kind of thing I think would be important to strengthen the gastroc and soleus yep. and reduce some of that uh, strain that's on the Achilles as a result. Two and three would be a little more of foot strength and, and lower in the leg strength. One of those is the foot drill series that we have seconds flat by run in on YouTube a set of four barefoot walking drills to work ranges mm-hmm. of motion around the foot and strength in, at the farthest extreme of each edge of the yep. foot. And then the third thing would be perhaps moving some of your strides to barefoot on grass or turf strides oh, um, as another yeah. strengthening power mechanism. I believe that all three of those would be beneficial in eliminating some of the potential drawbacks of long-term use of a carbon-plated yep. shoe. You want to add so, to that, PT? No, my, my initial thought is, number one, that with any transition, not just specific to like a plated shoe, just slowly working it into that rotation, mm-hmm. and really more importantly, is rotating through a couple different styles of shoes. You know, not just having a carbon-plated shoe as your only go-to. And really, that goes for, for any type of shoe. Using that maybe a couple days a week, but not not every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think your point on the calf raises is absolutely dead on for a couple reasons. One, at this point, it's still somewhat anecdotal, but it looks like with some of these shoes, we're seeing a little bit more Achilles issues. Mm-hmm. My hypothesis is that because they don't have as wide of a platform, that's putting a little bit of rotational torque on that Achilles, which mm-hmm. sometimes can make it cranky. So, so to pause you there, mm-hmm. that would suggest then that might be less of an issue in the more stable super shoes Correct. with wider bases. So something like if we were going to compare Alpha Fly mm-hmm. versus Vapor Fly, yep. or even like the Plus newest yep. editions of the Asics Metaspeed yep. series, which are uh, generally a little wider, a little yeah. wider base and a little more stable shoe, which again, anecdotally, we see a lot of that in... You know, we had Ironman Kona uh-huh. this weekend. We see a lot in the triathlon where yeah. we see a ton of ASIC stuff. And part of that is because of the money they spend and their sponsorships there. But also from my friends in the tri-world who have had success in the Nike shoes, some of them mm-hmm. have shifted to the ASICs because they prefer that more even stable ride right. after you've already done a swim and a bike when you're fatigued as compared to that softer Nike ride. Yes. Um, I think that's dead on. And I think you even see that watching in the last little bit, of, for those of you that watched any of the, uh, the Ironman this past weekend, with uh, Max Newman, who I think came mm-hmm. in fourth with the race. You know, he looks really smooth, but if you focus in on what's happening in his lower leg, there's a whole lot of lateral movement, or, well, medial lateral movement that's occurring. And I think that's partly due because of the fatigue that he's under. Yeah. And as we fatigue, it kind of starts from a, a distal to proximal direction. So our the smaller muscles in our feet give out before our, our larger mm. muscles of the quads and hips mm-hmm. um, the st- give out. Stabilizing stuff. So you don't have quite as much uh, stability from musculature. Yeah. So, I, again, this is all kind of anecdotal and hypothetical, but the short answer is adding calf raises you know, off the edge of a stair, going through full range of motion can help. Uh, prevent that and also just just improve your overall strength with your running stride as well 
Uh, and I think you're right. The the foot series where you know, it's a series of four little walks where you're walking you know on the outsides of your feet, on the insides of the feet, on your heels and on your toes to work your muscles at the end ranges of motion can help build that stability. Really, I think that those are the biggest things. So part of your answer there about rotating the way you rotate these shoes mm-hmm. in uh, leads to part B of Knox's question that we'll go to, which is he asked if going to a less aggressive shoe that still feels fast, i.e. Saucony Endorphin Speed 3 mm-hmm. nylon plated as opposed to carbon plated, is perhaps a good stepping stone in moving into the world of plated racing shoes. Short answer for me is yes. Yeah. Because I believe for most people, a carbon plated shoe is probably best suited for race day. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps one of the really high stack versions that helps reduce impact, mm-hmm. right, throughout the run, perhaps on long run or as we'll discuss here coming up quality long run yeah. days. Uh, but otherwise you could do all your workout sessions in you know, a more traditional racing shoe or a flat or a nylon plated shoe and still see benefits and still, as Knox mentioned in his email, feel like you're running fast and like you want to run fast. Right. Well, I, from my own personal perspective, like I think you're dead on. The, the carbon plated stuff kind of gets saved for races or for those special race specific workouts, you know, that you're maybe doing a, a few of you know, right before the race. But yeah, I, I use specifically the endorphin speeds for the majority of my long runs and for you know, the majority of my, my workout sessions, mm-hmm. kind of for that reason, because they are a little bit wider. You still have that same feeling of, of wanting to run faster. Yeah. And last point to this is, in part, using carbon plated shoes more often could be about point of access. Right. It's a cost factor, too. I have a job which allows me more access to more of these different types of shoes to try. Mm-hmm. And so I can then just use old pairs that I raced in maybe to do a few workouts in because I have another one down the line I can race in later. Not everyone has that benefit. Uh, so don't feel like you have to use them just because you see a bunch of videos of sponsored runners mm-hmm. who have a ton of, let's say, vapor flies or New Balance RC elites. That's what the best of the best in the world have access to. It might not be what every average person needs. And I'll say as well that when these shoes first came out, particularly the uh, the four percents, a lot of the hype around them was that they were only good for fifty miles or really limited distances. Whereas what we're seeing now with these foams that they can really last a pretty long time. Yeah, and um, Knox did bring that up as well. We've touched on that before. The, the bigger issues... When they're the, durable. Yeah, when the outsole wears out yeah. and you start to see some, some cambering of that, mm-hmm. the, the sole, then you know we need to look at replacing that. But we can take them a whole lot farther than we originally thought. Okay, final big topic for the night is long-run workouts. Beautiful. We're in the heart of marathon season. A lot of the folks we run with uh, or we work with are targeting big races still coming where they have time to work in some quality long run sessions. So we were asked a question about what might these look like? What are some favorites? How often would you use them? Uh, If you're targeting a race down the road, November, December, January, there's still time to work these in. If if you are uh, going to Richmond, Indianapolis, New York, Philly, CIM like us, Houston, all those are coming up. So I know a bunch of listeners are are going to be headed to one of those places. First most beneficial would be to divide long runs 
into three general categories. Okay. Uh, so you're probably doing one of these types of runs in marathon training every, perhaps it's once a week or 10 days or two weeks. Well, let's, let's, let me do this. Let's set up kind of our context here. And first, define specifically what you think of, a, of as a long run. And second, how, how often should we do this? Okay, so I would define a long run if you're doing uh, – these questions came to us in the context more of marathoning, but let's take a step back and say for uh, you know a, a lot of 5K runners to uh, 10K runners, it might be up to three times the distance mm-hmm. of their event. For a half marathoner, it probably looks similar to a marathoner. Sure. If you're trying to just complete the event, it might be 10 to 12 miles as your longest long run. If you're trying to excel, compete, and win, you might be consistently doing 16 and 18 mile yeah. long runs. A marathoner depends a lot on experience level, and it's going to vary over the course of a training cycle, but it is somewhere between perhaps 16 miles and maybe up to 40K is a traditional mark at the high end, uh, which gets you up close to 25 miles. I I don't go that far myself, but I will go to two and a half hours uh, somewhat uh, occasionally or frequently, and that's going to get me well over 20 miles. How often are you doing them? Again, in a marathon cycle, it becomes more significant. So now it might be more frequent. It might be once a week that it is the centerpiece of your training cycle. We talked about the habits of the best runners in the world. And that was one of the things we saw in that study. The half marathoners and marathoners built their microcycle around the long run. The track athletes built their micro microcycle around track sessions and then long runs complemented it. Yep. Yeah. To the three categories then. Thanks for giving some background there, Phil. First are are just your easy, I'm covering the mileage. It's Uh, time off for you. That's right. Uh, This is what most less experienced runners should be doing consistently. It's what a lot of, a lot of us are doing outside of a specific training cycle, eight months away from a race Mm -hmm. in the middle of the year. It's also probably what most runners who are on a seven day micro cycle with two midweek quality sessions should be doing a lot of. So maybe you're like a Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. If you have those two quality sessions in midweek, and then you're filling the other days with easy runs, you may also make that long run a little easier. Now, the best in the best of the world, say in Elliot Kipchoge, he can also run that long run with quality. That's a lot of recovery ability. But, but that's the thing. It's yeah. about the ability to recover. And a lot of that comes with experience, mileage over time, you know, the lifetime volume. Right. And what you're doing with the rest of your life. He's not going to another job during the day. He's sleeping 10 hours a night. That's right. Napping during the afternoon. The second category is the one that I do most frequently when I'm in a specific training cycle. And then also probably the one we assign the most as well. That is a steady or progressive Mm -hmm. long run. The average pace here often ends up nearly the same, whether it's just a steady lock-in at somewhere between 85% of marathon effort all the way to as fast as like 50K uh, race effort for most of the run after a brief warm-up or a gradual, gentle cut down with the fastest intensity, not maybe at the very end, but close to it, plus or minus marathon pace. Uh, But the overall average, again, they often look similar. I do not include in this category a specific run that's something like 18 miles easy, then four miles at marathon pace. 
where it's just a cutoff. Right, a firm into, transition. Yes, yeah. into a harder block. There's a few reasons for that. One is most people don't have a lot of fun with that approach. <laughs> just to be honest, uh-huh. we want to enjoy it. And that can create some anxiety if you can't execute it yep. or if you're fatigued already before that block starts. Well, and I've done a couple of those with buildups in the past. And, and, you know, we've talked about test pieces versus actually training. And mm-hmm. to me, that's where that fits a little bit more as well, where it's like, okay, let's go out and run 16 miles easy. Those last four miles we're going to put right at goal pace. Does that feel reasonable or am I in over my head? Yeah, that's a good point. And so what are other ways that we can dial in appropriate goals and feel? We'll, yeah. we'll come to back to that. The other reason that I maybe don't like that approach of the hard break into a fast finish is it puts a lot of pressure a lot of pressure on a significant gear change mm-hmm. rather than a su- sustained aerobic stress and i it seems to me as if the sustained aerobic stress is a common element of what the best are doing in their long runs adding up this time where we're working closer and closer to that first lactate threshold mm-hmm. and we're getting a really high end aerobic uh, response yeah. because I don't often see in a marathon while we want people to split negative splits, you know, that you're not and, seeing hard gear changes, though. right? It's more about like, it's the effort split mm-hmm. that you're looking at. I don't see people just all of a sudden at mile 22, just start hammering. Right. That probably means you saved a little too much. So I well, don't know I, if it really replicates what we want anyway. To me, there's probably some value to learning to, to change efforts, just, gradually toggling up and down thinking of like a race scenario where you may be fatigued but having to go up a hill yeah or throwing a little bit of a surge to stay with a group but that's a whole different beast than you know starting out at eight minutes for the first four miles and then from mile four to 16 trying to drop it down to seven minutes yeah great segue phil because i believe you can work on that skill you just described in some of these long runs with quality mm-hmm. long run workout sex us uh, Long run workout sessions. Easy for you to say, Phil. Say that three times fast. Okay, so what is the long run with quality? This is designed with prescribed intensities and aimed at promoting certain race-specific adaptations in this third category. Also, remember here, when, when you see elite athletes doing long runs with quality, remember that they're often running at altitude, which has an impact on the intensities. Mm-hmm. So what that translates to at sea level, or perhaps in a humid versus non-humid or arid, you might call it, a scenario, is just an important caveat to, sure. to remember. Because I was asked for favorites, I just listed three. Okay. Number one, these are in order for me. Number one would be the long run with tempo segments. It's a classic for marathon prep in marathon-specific blocks, like that final eight, ten weeks Mm -hmm. where we are right now. One that you might commonly see is a workout of 10 miles easy, followed by around 10 miles at marathon pace. Mm -hmm. It's okay, but again, I prefer other constructions such as 4 by 5K Mm -hmm. at marathon pace. With a short jog, or maybe even better, a float, kind so of steady float. In, coming off of it for a little bit. And yeah. Back so, in. for example, 5K at marathon pace, 1K float, and back. Yeah. 
And then you could adjust the length of the tempo segment, either up or down, make mm -hmm. it shorter or longer, and then you would change the number of repetitions you do accordingly. It's going to have an inverse relationship. If I make the tempo segments shorter, I can include more of them. Mm -hmm. Maybe you do, to get an approximately same number, maybe you do 7 by 3K, and then you could build later that's up like a to, four by five k that's something. that's yeah. right yeah or it just could be the number of reps you might do three by five k first and then build uh to four by five k and also you can compose these as progressive let's take those 5k examples the the first 5k could be slightly slower than marathon pace the second and third could be on it mm -hmm. and the fourth could be slightly faster in an effort to teach yourself what it's like to progress kind of running the type of splits you want on race day Interesting. Well, the reason that I prefer that type of approach is 10 miles easy, 10 at marathon pace. That, that's a, a lot of strain on the body. And well, it might take more recovery, but I can do 4 by 5 can actually get more miles at marathon pace. But because it's broken differently, I think it's more manageable. Mm -hmm. And it allows me to recover a little quicker. And these are all assuming these are in big, beefy mileage sessions. Right. Don't go throwing this in immediately. With like okay. a 10-minute warm-up and a 10-minute cool-down. But Yeah, yeah. So you might start with shorter. I've mentioned on here before when we discussed fart, like 12 by 5 minutes at marathon pace to get you an hour of that kind of work and break it. Maybe it's 60 or 90 seconds mm -hmm. in between. But build up accordingly and appropriately. Number two, uh, these are alternations, long alternations. We've discussed it a lot within fart, like, like the Monaghetti. Well, we've discussed a lot as well from you know, kind of that push-pull idea. Yes. Yeah, so, slightly above and slightly below, whether a threshold or yeah, race that, pace. That's great because this is push-pull approach to tempo running, but in a long-run sense, it's targeted at that first lactate threshold, not that more intense break point as you move toward critical power. Mm -hmm. Accordingly, it overlaps some with marathon pace for a lot of folks. These are modulating paces at around goal race pace, slightly faster, slightly slower, in segments of we've used Ks, miles, uh, three-minute bouts, five-minute bouts, mm -hmm. any of those. In the less scientific approach to this, as we've discussed with floats within a fartlek, this teaches the body to recover while still running at relatively quick paces, and goes back to your point earlier of working on gear changes. Right. I, I This can be really nice, as is my third example, can well, be really nice on rolling undulating courses if you think you are competing to win and have to match pace changes. Absolutely. Well, and I like this as well, just for learning the feel of what that race effort should be. Mm -hmm. That you learn what it feels like to be just a little bit faster, a little bit slower, so that you can gauge that effort when you're actually in the race of... I've been here before. This is what that rhythm should feel like. That's spot on. That was going to be my next point. It really can help you pinpoint what an appropriate race pace, rate, race yeah. effort feels like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favorite example for a seasoned marathoner here is to alternate whatever your segments are. K is maybe. We'll just say for now. At uh, approximately 10-ish seconds faster per mile than marathon pace and 30-ish or so seconds slower than marathon pace. And so over the long haul, if you do that for up to an hour or slightly more, you're going to average out a little slower than marathon pace, but you've done the push and the pull, right. pull and you're getting great aerobic impacts. Number three for me will be the Squire Surges. Uh, we've mentioned Ooh, this briefly yeah. before. 
they are modeled from the Boston Marathon training of legendary coach Bill Squires. To go along with alternations, surging long runs are particularly nice if you expect to be in the competition to win and you have to be ready for covering a move. And also courses of varying terrains. Uh, Coach Squires famously said this is the type of long run that puts the tiger in the cat. You should probably do some of these workouts. I should. I'm going to need them. them. Yeah, (laughs) if I'm going to beat you, buddy. In the simplest form, we do uh, scourging long runs on 10-minute cycles. That could look like three minutes on, seven off, five on, five off, six on, four off, etc. But the key is don't make the the surges so challenging that it one blows up the run or two shifts it away from the in, uh, the intention of the day away from aerobic development mm. uh, because that's still what a long run is about if you're going to run fast on these surges they better be really short so in my example if i went three on seven off i could run that three slightly faster than if i did five and five And to tie back into the alternations, a nice construction here is to make the off cycles more moderate or steady so that you're really truly surging from long run pace rather than just a hard, easy fart lick. Next piece to this then is how often should I complete a long run within uh, with quality within a marathon build? On a 10-day microcycle like I like to use, I will use this at most once every other week, which means at most I'm doing one of these Every three weeks, yeah. I, I misspoke there. So. Yeah, because I, I'm doing them at most once every other cycle. Yeah, yeah. I just refer to it as a week in my training, and so that might total then three or four of these maximum over a true marathon bit, like in that core marathon segment, mm-hmm. and they, those would then be complemented maybe by the other types of long runs that we mentioned. But that is for an experienced runner comfortable doing significant mileage. It might just be about one or two of these just to start to touch on these paces and get comfortable with race pace preparation in a longer run setting. Just feeling comfortable going a little bit harder over a longer distance than you usually may. Yeah, especially later in the training as you near a marathon or half marathon, those quality long runs with race pace efforts help you as you move in that funnel of specificity. You can dial in, as you said, that feel and rhythm of racing, improve your efficiency at that pace, uh, and build some confidence too. Again, when we default in our training, we are more likely to default to the steady or gently progressive long run and believe those have the most bang for your buck, in particular because of the recovery factor. Some of these quality runs are going to take you more time to recover from. You're going to have to sacrifice other sessions, and that's okay. But you need to know that going in and plan accordingly, and you might be able to get a a more global total training Mm -hmm. approach if you prioritize the, the steadier or progressive run as your, what we might call a little more challenging long run than just going long easy. Yeah. Well, and I like the progression run as well from the development of just the mental toughness. Yeah, um, there's no question. Knowing that you're, you know, you start out easy, but that you have a long day ahead of you. But as you go in, you're getting more and more fatigued, but having to push a little bit more and more and essentially settling into that effort and getting comfortable with it versus a segment where, yeah, you may be going five minutes, 10 minutes or 5k, knowing that you have a break coming, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 minutes down the road where you can come off, come off the gas a little bit. 
in this progression one run, the fatigue's building, but you're having to just settle in and get comfortable with that fatigue. As you will on race day, right? <laughs> you, you will That's have... why I'll be sitting down at the start line. <laughs> That's Check right. my energy. Well, we will have to be comfortable in that uncomfortable mm-hmm. space on race pace. So that's a good place to wrap it right there. We'll catch you next time on mile 132 of Seconds Flat. Thanks so much for joining. Have a great week of running, and we will talk to you soon. Enjoy.